All right, well, I was saying, before I got all tangled up and whatnot, it's, it's exciting. It's great to have an opportunity to open up and share about myself, uh, my walk with the Lord, my upbringing, and really things that have happened to me that have really kind of defined who I am and where I'm at today. It's exciting, but it's also hard because I am not an open book, and I tend not to be vulnerable and and open to everyone. So it's a, it's a little bit of a stretch for me, but uh, it is it, it is cool. I'm I'm excited. So with that said, way back when I moved here from Illinois when I was seven years old with my family, and to date. I have not found a, almost a native Colorado bumper sticker, so if you find one of those, please get it, because the rest of my family, they're all natives. Um, I grew up in a traditional family, conservative household. We grew up in the church. My parents were very connected, very involved, as were we, um, just from day one. So when we moved out here, we got plugged into our church and had, had a lot of... Uh, it was a great place, a great place to be brought up, a great place to get plugged into. And my, I have an older sister and two younger brothers, and we were just part of Bible school, vacation Bible school in the summertime, uh, the youth groups, all of that. So our family was very connected and very close. We were, we were really close-knit, and it was a great upbringing. My parents were very loving, um, and it was, it was a great environment to be brought up in. So that's, that's a little background there. Jeff, if you want to throw up that first picture, I think since people were doing pictures, this is my sixth grade picture. It also looks like Elijah right here in the seventh grade. So I should have taken his sixth grade picture because he's better looking. But um, it, that was my upbringing. I mean, in the church, we also went to a Lutheran school, grade school, all the way through middle school. But the thing that really defined me is the next picture here. And this would be my adrenaline junkie side of things. It all started with makeshift ramps that we had no business riding our bikes on. Um, and it quickly went from that into rollerblading and then into skateboarding. And skateboarding really defined me early on. I was good at it, it was fun, and it was just something that was a complete challenge, and like I said, the adrenaline side of things really, really grabbed a hold of my heart, and it's what I was using to define me. So, two things in my life that I really want to highlight today and testimonies to this, um, this would be the first. Um, one's, one's more of a physical impact that I've had with the Lord, and then the other one's more of an emotional um, heart heart issue. But to start off, we're going to deal with the physical. So here I am soaring through the air. Um, the skateboarding side of things really took over, and that was all that I would do. And all my homework assignments, that whether it was art class or riding, whatever it was, it always had an emphasis on skateboarding. The walls of my bedroom were all plastered with every magazine picture that I could get of the guys jumping down the stairs and all. But it really defined me. 
And that's what I was known for in Little Loveland, Colorado. This went on for years. And in high school, we had a Thanksgiving break. It was my freshman year. And I went snowboarding with some friends and came home from a great day, not knowing that I had twisted a bone out of place in my hip. Uh, Two days later, it was Thanksgiving, and all the businesses in town were closed. So it was a prime day for somebody who likes to take advantage of those little office spaces and stuff to skateboard to get out there and not get kicked off of the property and whatnot. So I was out there that morning, and I landed and I landed really hard, and I just felt a pain. And normally, I could get just push through it and keep playing and having fun. But today was different. It was an intense pain in my lower back. And so I just said, I'm going to go home and have the rest of the Thanksgiving day with my family. But a couple days passed, and nothing was getting better. In fact, it was getting worse. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't bend over more than, than this without intense pain just radiating through my body. Um, went to a chiropractor for a couple weeks, just on a daily basis, and I would have maybe 30 to 45 minutes of relief, and then it would kick back in. So I'm 15 and can barely walk, and everything that I was using to define me was suddenly ripped away. I couldn't do any of that anymore. I went in and had an MRI done, and I had ruptured and herniated two discs in my lower back. And they said, you know, you're 15, but you look like you have the back of a 70-year-old. And so there wasn't really that many options for me. They didn't, they didn't want to do surgery because you're 15, and that's a surgery on your back that they don't want to address. And so we were praying about it. Okay, what, what should we do? So we decided we're going to take the next year and do intense physical therapy, massage therapy, um, and then from there, kind of see how things go. So over the year, I'm doing that. I'm on pretty heavy pain medication as well. And nothing's working. Nothing is happening. But we're staying the course. And about a year to date of that accident, I was at a youth group night. Just sitting in the back, and all of a sudden, I got the chills on the top of my head. And then it just went straight down all the way to my toes. Goosebumps. It was weird. It was weird. Not only was it the goosebumps, but it was this warmth that just flowed all the way down as well. I thought, that is really weird. So I, I stood up, and I, I, I leaned forward, just knowing my limits, and I passed that limit. I thought, wait a minute. So I went out in the hallway, and I, I slowly start testing I start kicking, and I'm not real flexible, but I could kick my legs up higher than I've been able to kick for the last year and a half, or year, and I'm healed. It was a miracle. Not sitting there praying, not doing anything other than standing in the back at youth group, and I got touched by the Lord. The very next day, well, actually before that, I got healed. I'm, I'm ecstatic. I'm running around, flipping out of my mind here, because... This has been a year of pain, and all of a sudden, I have freedom. I'm done. So, shared at, at youth group, and everyone's just blown away. What happened? And I run home, and I'm running through my house, and I'm screaming, I'm healed, I'm healed. And my parents come running into the room. They're like, what? And they see me kicking, and they start crying. And my younger brother comes down the stairs, and he le- leans in, and he starts screaming, this is what I saw. 
this is what I saw. And come to find out, he had a dream several weeks before of me running into our house, screaming, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, kicking my legs up like a little goofy kid. And uh, he had that vision, and it came to pass. So that's, that's the physical touch of God on my life then and there just radically impacted me, blew me away. Um, and in that time frame, there's a lot that, that I dealt with as a 15-year-old, um, you know, finding that my identity is not in this wooden board with wheels and that does not define who I am and whatnot. But really, just this touch from God impacted me in a mighty way. So that was, that was awesome. The desire for adrenaline is still there, and we still have a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, so that was high school. Out of high school, I went to CSU, and that's where I met my lovely bride. And you could throw up that next picture, Jeff, if you'd like. So when we, when we met, I, uh, I had just moved to Fort Collins with some buddies, and we didn't have any money. I mean, we were just broke college dudes. And I met Marissa, and we ran into each other at a Bible study, and she just, there was something about her that I knew I needed to get to know her. And this was just, as a friend, I, I, I thought she was really cool. But then things quickly started to happen in, inside my head, and I realized I really got to get to know her, and uh, more than just a friend. So I'm, I'm living in this apartment with these guys, and we don't have our phones set up yet, and I have an extra ticket to a concert, and I want to invite her along. But I'm not going to see her anytime soon. But she told me where she lives, so I was working, took my lunch break, and ran to her house, knocked on the door, real nervous. Nobody answers. So I go back to work and come back after work, knock again, hoping to, to see her. And she opens the door, and we're both like, hey. It was a surprise because <laughs> she wasn't expecting me. I'm bringing all of this up because she's going to speak next week. And she may make mention of stalking, but I like to just say I was persistent in pursuing her. So since I'm starting today, I'm setting the record straight. But no, she said yes, and it, it was all from there. It was, just, it, it was just on. I knew that I loved her, and we fell madly in love. We got engaged, and then I graduated in May, and then we got married in June. So you could throw that next picture up. Huh. I thought I had another picture. <laughs> I like the guitar, but I love my bride. Anyway, you could take that one down. I thought that was the one of us at our wedding day. That's funny. Oh, all right. Yeah, Marissa will bring it next week. When she makes mention of stocking, just say, no, he was persistent. All right, so back, back to this. Um, we got married, and we were married for six months. I was talking to a buddy at church. He said, when are you going to have kids? What are, what are your thoughts on, on kids? I said, oh, buddy, we've been married six months. I'm, we're waiting five years. Marissa said, we're waiting two years. And then uh, I was like, you know, we're still going to wait, and we're going to wait. A week later, I'm at the men's group. I'm like, hey, remember last week when I said five years and Marissa said two? We've only been married six months, but in nine months, we're going to have a kid. So now you can throw up in the next picture. And we had Elijah. 
And then shortly after Elijah, you could throw up the next one, we had Hannah. And then Kellen. And then we knew that Nolan was the last addition to our family. So here we were. All right, so that's, that's the background. That's the background. So I touched base on the healing testimony of how God touched my, my uh, body physically. But I want to talk about my heart because there's a big, that is a big aspect of what has changed over the years to where our family is at today, where I am at today. Um, when we were first married, we were going to church in Loveland at Resurrection Fellowship, and we were really plugged in there. And continued on. So years passed, and we just kept doing the church, the, uh, the young marriage group that we were part of. And it got to the point where all of a sudden things shifted in the environment there, and we started to see a huge revival happening. People were in love for the Lord, seeing just the excitement on everybody's faces as we came together for worship or we came together for the men's group, the women's group, everything all around. The whole church was just booming with excitement for the Lord. Um, at the time, we got a new pastor in, and he was just teaching these amazing sermons and really was feeding me. Um, growing up in the church, it was great. We, we always had great teaching, but honestly, looking back, I can't think of any of it. You know, it, it, it was impactful for the Sunday, and then Monday would roll around, and it didn't stick. Um, but this is, this is when things really started to change for me. I had a realization of, wait, this is who God is. He's not just the God in heaven that I have to say, I sinned again, please forgive me. Oh, I sinned again, please forgive me. I mean, there, there's a whole new view on who our God was. So revival's happening, changes in my heart are, are occurring, and I, I get introduced to Bill Johnson's book, When Heaven Invades Earth, and I read that four times in a row back and forth, back and forth. Um, I'm listening to the podcasts from Bethel Church in Reading daily on my drive into work, on my drive home, all of that, just constantly feeding myself. And then Danny Silk's book, The Culture of Honor, that radically changed my view of what it means to love, what it means to honor. And just highlighting in the Bible how it says to honor everyone. And it's Everyone. So that's, that's hitting me big time. And then I read Danny Silk's book, uh, Loving Our Kids on Purpose, which not only changed my heart, it changed how we parent, it changed how we're raising our kids, and it was a huge impact. So I had all of this going on, and it's over a good span of time. No, nothing's overnight, but that was big. So I'm getting all this head knowledge, trying to get it down into my heart and, and walk it out. And I'm starting to see that. I'm like, I'm, I'm getting this. I'm getting this. Suddenly, the museum in Loveland has an art exhibit that causes a huge controversy throughout Loveland. And it, in fact, it makes national news. It was uh, an exhibit by a professor at Stanford who had all of his artwork in this exhibit was his view on religion, organized religion, Christianity, uh, the turns out the Catholic church that he grew up in, it was his commentary on all of that. And it, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. The artwork depicted Jesus in these very um, inappropriate situations and inappropriate acts. And 
it, it got on the radar of the churches, of the Christians, of the associations that tend to send out emails saying, you need to protest this group because of this, that, and the other. And there's people picketing at the, at the museum because of this artwork. There's churches that are organizing this, and the professor is getting hundreds and hundreds of emails on a daily basis with death threats, with just condemnation and judgment from Christians. Now, this had gone on for a couple weeks, and it really hit the news cycle when a trucker from Montana drove overnight, went into the museum, and waited until they had an opportune moment to just beat everything with her tire iron. And she destroyed all his artwork, was arrested, over $5,000 worth of damage, and you know the protesters outside and the picketers, they were on board with this and excited uh, because she was standing up for Christianity. And, and our church had not, there wasn't anything said from the pulpit. And people were saying, you know, I need to have, have you say something here to our pastor. And it's a long story. And, and I don't want to get into all the details, but instead of our pastor just getting up on a Saturday night, a Sunday morning, and condemning what's happening and everything, he took the approach of, I'm going to reach out to the professor. And he emails him, and it's a fluke that the professor even opens that email, because like I said, he's inundated with all this hate mail. And the email from our pastor was, you know, I'm a pastor of this church. People are asking me to make a comment on it, and I want to tell you I'm sorry that your work was destroyed. And he's just loving and kind, and he reaches out, and he says, what's your perspective on this? That's not my Jesus, and who, who I know is my Jesus, so... Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from somewhat, but tell me more. And he opens up a dialogue, and this goes back and forth for several weeks to the point where they, be, they create this great friendship in the midst of this huge disagreement. And the pastor shares how he sees Jesus and who Jesus is to him. And the professor says, you know, that's beautiful. That is a beautiful depiction of who you say your Jesus is. Let me paint that for you. I would like to gift that to your church for your kindness and your love. And it was awesome. So this, this goes on for a year. They do a whole unveiling at the church of this beautiful painting of Jesus that the professor who was being condemned, being judged, all of that lovingly gave and, and donated to the church because of the impact that that relationship had and that approach. So that just blew my mind seeing how that was handled. Because in the past, religion would say, get on board and picket it, protest it, destroy it. But the pastor made a point that that's not Jesus. That, it's a painting. That's not my Jesus. And that, so here's more to add to my head knowledge of, all right, this is amazing. But the moment that I had to start putting this into practice was, was a big day. Um, once again, in the midst of all of this, my family was rocked with uh, the news that one of my brothers was gay. And this whole piece of information coming out to us was not his intent. He was not ready to share this information with the family, um, had been living it quietly off our radar. 
But it was found out, and suddenly he was forced to present this to the family. And it, it was a hard, hard time. Like I said, we're a traditional family. We were conservative. We were um, growing up in the church, and, and we were faced with what religion would handle in these situations. Um, it, it was a hard time, but my brother said, okay, I'm going to contact every family member, and I'll talk to them. So he, he said, stop talking about it, and I will reach out. So I waited, and Marissa and I talked. What are we going to do? What are we going to say? How are we going to proceed from here? This is just out of left field. We were shocked. Um, I, I, I said, well, he's calling. I'm going to wait. I'm not going to call him. He's going to have to call me. And long story short, we, Marissa and I were talking. I'm like, what, what are we going to do? We have all this head knowledge of honoring, of loving we have the, the firsthand account of our pastor showing us how to love when there's a disagreement. Or, and it's a whole new approach. So we said, well, we can either stand and do what the religious thing would do and tell him he's wrong and, and so on and so forth, or we can step back and we can look at the fact that he's my brother. And nothing has changed. And I love him. And we love him. So the phone call comes, and I get to talk to him. And he, you can hear he's just a wreck. Emotionally, he is fried because this is such a, a draining issue on him at the moment. And I could hear just the trepidation in his voice when he's talking to me. And uh, all I say after he says everything he says is, Justin, I love you. You are my brother, and nothing's going to change that. I love you, and I'll tell you Marissa loves you. You're, you're her brother-in-law, and nothing's going to change that. And our kids adore you. You are a great uncle to them, and we love you. We don't have to agree. We don't have to disagree. But you can know that you are loved. And so that's, that started our newfound relationship, because we weren't real close. We hadn't been real close. And in talking to him about wanting to share this and getting his permission to kind of help share some of his story too, um, he told me, he's like, you know, you were the last person I wanted to call. Because in the past, I had been critical. I had been judgmental. I've been real religious in this. Um, and it, and it just, that hit me really hard to realize that I had been living in a way that would cause my own brother to not even want to talk to me because he was worried about the condemnation and the criticalness that I was going to pour out on him. And one thing I hadn't touched base on was just how I was so critical. I was very critical. I was very political. I was very, um, I, I knew what I knew. I mean, I could debate politically with the other, other party, and I could put them in their place and really feel like I did my job. But realizing that, that didn't change anybody's mind. They probably left just thinking, wow, what a jerk. Because that, that's how I look back on it. Like, that was a really jerky move of me. And, and the way that I handled that, that's not right. That's not who I am. So we have all this stuff going on, and we decide that as a family, 
we are going to choose to be in relationship as opposed to choosing to being right. And that choice was us moving away from religion as, as, as we have witnessed in the past and just moving on from that and just choosing that relationship. Um, and it wasn't just in regard to the homosexual community. It was everything. And it radically changed our family as a whole. So my heart went from being so critical, so judgmental, and, and a lot of times I was quiet because I wouldn't vocalize it, but I would think it. And, and it just changed. And it changed to a point where I can honor. And I can show honor to everyone because that's what the Bible calls us to do. So over time, Justin and, and I have really grown closer. And honestly, it's funny to look back on who I was and what, how I was living my life to be as close as I am with him today. Um, and, and not only with Justin, but with his husband, Philip, and uh, their involvement in our lives. It's one of the most joyful, loving relationships that we carry. And it's our opportunity as a family, not only to impact them, but to impact their friends, to impact our friends, our family. And, and that's been a huge opportunity for us. Um, it, it, it really, it, it radically changed all around. Like I said, it's not just in, in that aspect of life, but every aspect of life and how we're, how we're handling ourselves, how we're walking with friends and, and whatnot. But after we made this choice to choose relationship, things changed at work for me and they moved my desk, and suddenly I was surrounded by six gay men, one of which was the head of that employee resource group for the homosexual community at our company. And this is across Denver, North Carolina, New York, and then in all the little offices throughout the states. So there, there's really top positions in our company for this resource group. And in the past, I would have just been the Christian I'm not going to make friends. I'm not going to do any of that. But now it's like, no, they're people. They're the same as me. And God loves them. And one thing in, in a book that I read by Gregory Boyd is that God has ascribed an unsurpassable worth on everyone. The good, the bad, the ugly, the worst of the worst, the best of the best. He ascribes the same amount of unsurpassable worth to everybody. He's not in the position where he's wanting to come in and be focused on behavior modification before you can have a relationship with him or fixing people before you can have a relationship on him. From day one, God has ascribed this unsurpassable worth. And that was a big, a, a big focus for me where I could go in and suddenly befriend these individuals that in the past I wouldn't have. And I was able to share in their life. I was able to share in their joy, in their sorrow, and speak life into situations with them and just be friends and hear them. It wasn't my, my role as a, 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 as a secret us versus them mentality in the Christian community of I'm going to get in and I'm going to change the world and save everybody. It's, no, I'm going to just show them God's love. 
And it's not just to the gay people. It's not just to the, that homosexual community. It's to everybody. Politically, if we have a difference of opinion, who cares? I love you. And I don't want to talk politics because I don't like it. It's not my thing anymore. <laughs> All right, so that, it, it, it's just uncanny to look back and to see how critical and judgmental I was to the relationships that we carry today. Uh, it wasn't just at work, it was outside of work. Made great friends that in the past wouldn't have been friends with. So it was just a huge, huge impact on my heart. Um, one thing here as we're closing up is just talking about love. And that's, that's really what it, what it boils down to. When love is defined by people, by you and I, it really becomes subjective. It's a term that we usually throw around and uh, use. And it, there's really not a strong definition on a day-to-day when we're talking about how we love tacos or we love that dessert or the color of your shirt. Um, there, it's, it's very subjective. And God doesn't determine his, love, determine his love for us based upon our works, our behavior, what our knowledge is, how long we spent praying, and how long we spent reading the Word. God, God doesn't base His love on that. And His love is not conditional where He's saying, you have to change, you have to be fixed, you have to, uh, I'm going to focus on your behavior modification. And once you do this, this, and this, then I'll love you. God ascribes that unsurpassable worth to everyone. And he does it in an absolute, unwavering manner. He's not fit, focused on the behavior modification, so why should we be? That's, that, that was a big impact, having this realization there. And when we apply the unwavering love of God to our relationships, we experience a, a level of life in those relationships. And not only life, but it's a deep heart connection with other individuals. Um, Sean Bowles said, true love can see people as though they were never separated from God. And then true lovers of God treat them that way. And that was just a huge impact of a quote for me. And that's how I want to see people. Um, Jeff, do we have another picture? So that's us today. I guess that should have been the next one. That wasn't our wedding picture, but... All right, and then another one. All right, so that's the family today. And as a family, we decide that we are going to bring and give as much life to others that we possibly can. We are going to ascribe an unsurpassable worth to all that God has so graciously and freely given to us. And that, as a family, is how we're, how we're living. I'd like to close out with this verse, um, 1 Corinthians 13, 3 through 7, so the love chapter, but out of the mirror, because I was reading that, and I love how it says it here. So we have that to throw up, and I'll, uh, I'll read it. So love is not about defending a point of view. Even if I am prepared to give away everything I have and die a martyr's death, love does not have to prove itself by acts of supreme devotion or self-sacrifice. 
Love is large in being passionate about life and relentlessly patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others with kindness. Love is completely content and strives for nothing. Love has no desire to make others feel inferior, has no need to sing its own praises. Love is predictable and does not behave out of character. Love is not ambitious. Love is not spiteful and gets no mileage out of another's mistake. Love sees no joy in injustice. Love's delight is in everything that truth celebrates. Love is a fortress where everyone feels protected rather than exposed. Love's persuasion is persistent. Love believes. Love never loses hope and always remains constant in contradiction. That paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 13 is, is amazing to me. And it's a step away from religion and a way of defining love and defining what this world should look like and judging and being critical to the other side of it of, you know, love's, love's not concerned with those little details. And I'm not either. So that's my big heart testimony and, and what God has done there. I know that we've opened up the floor for questions on this series, so I'll be willing to open up the door for questions if there are any. All right. Yeah, Casey. What? Do I still skateboard? Not like I used to. But I will say I had my 37th birthday on Thanksgiving. And while everybody was indoors, fellowshipping, all the adults at least, I went out on the side of the house with the kids and rode skateboards with them. So, yeah, there was some of that for sure. Man. I'm going to bring him the mic. As you transitioned into this new love phase, can you explain what it does to the people around you? Yeah. Um, it's radically transformed relationships that, that we have. Um, we, we did what we knew was right for our family, and that's, that's been good. Um, it has not been an easy road with everybody involved, and, and we're, we're still walking that out, and we clearly don't have it all together, but, uh, but we're standing firm, and we're where we're at. And it's because of that, like I said, that our relationship with them is what it is today. I love them. Um, and other relationships, you know, we're working at, and those will get better too over time because we'll keep at it. And we will choose relationship over being right, but for the family, this is where, we're, where we land. Other people, it's blown them away to see the change. And honestly, had we not grown up with, with this idea of what religion 
kind of puts an emphasis on, this wouldn't be the, the heart issue for me that it was. And I wouldn't have had such a, a difficult time when all that really started to change and when I had to put the head knowledge into my heart. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been great for relationships around us. Vince. My question is, what was the hardest part or what was the hardest thing for you to overcome kind of going through your finding out your brother was gay and how did you sort of cope with that internally knowing, you know, you know what he's doing isn't necessarily right or where he's at. It's like all of us, but how did you, how are you able to love him through that and, you know, what is your prize? What is the prize in, in the long distance and, you know, why were you intentional or how are you intentional? Yeah, um, I think just all the all the studying that I had been doing, um, that in and of itself was a huge impact on the heart. The Bible says to honor everyone, and not only just the Bill Johnson and the Danny Silk and what was happening at Resurrection Fellowship, but even when we came here and Pastor Jeff introduced us to Gregory Boyd's book, Repenting from Religion, that was huge. That was a moment. I say that was huge a lot because that's it was huge. Um, it that book really helped me understand that you know God's not God has not created us to be individuals who are going to sit back and cast judgments and ascribe worth and value to individuals because that's not what he does. His is an unsurpassable, so he doesn't look at and pinpoint, oh, you did this or that or the other. It's you are my son, and I love you. You fell down. Let me help you up, and let me walk with you because I love you. Um, that, that, that aspect of life for me really helped me step back and realize that I'm not meant to be the individual out there to judge, that I'm not to call out things that I see in situations. I mean, there's a difference between, well, you hear it. You hear it in the church. You hear it of, I love you, so I'm going to tell you you're wrong. I love you. I'm going to tell you what you're doing is not okay. And that's, that's, that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to fix people. And to say, I love you, but ends up with something that stinks. Yeah, that's a dad joke there. All right, so so instead of going towards somebody in love in that manner, we're supposed to go to love, go to somebody in a, in a manner of love to empower them and to say, this is who God says you are, and to call out that gold and that treasure within them to call out that unsurpassable worth that they have. And so grasping that and really getting that down into my heart is what, what really impacted me. And then honestly, having Marissa right by my side was just huge, huge. It was huge. <laughs> yeah. So my question is, like, when you're – when you kind of changed into this love mode with your brother, was he, like, open to receiving, like, testifying God and Jesus? Like, is he, does he know Jesus? Like, 
I know you're, it's not in a religious form, like, you should know Jesus, but, like, I think a lot of um, the religious Christians keep the gay people from thinking that they can have Jesus because they're doing wrong, As, and it's just, we all sin differently, so I think that, you know, we look at it like, oh, they're gay, it's in the Bible or whatever, and then, but that person's like a drunk or something, you know, it's just how we keep our own selves from it, but did it help your brother, like, just see you transformed? Did it help him? Like, is he open and is his partner open to, like, you guys talking about Jesus and, like, just reflecting that love on their lives? Totally. Totally. Um, one thing that has never wavered with my brother is his faith and his love for the Lord. So he's always been plugged into the church. And even he and his husband now, they're plugged into a church where they're getting fed. And so they know that God loves them. But the impact that he's seen from us, from me, just stepping out of my criticalness and the judgment has been a, a big open door for him to really see a change. And like I said, I talked to him about sharing this because it's intimate and personal for him too, but... Uh, he said at first he wasn't quite sure. So he heard me say, I love you. Nothing's changing that, and nothing will. But now, years later, he can see, and even Philip can see that I love him. And God loves him. They know that, and that's, that's, that's great for them. And honestly, not only them, but their friends. Um, we were at the wedding, and I met a bunch of their, their close friends, and... They were so excited to see our love for them. And it was our opportunity to show God's love, not only to Justin and Philip, but to everybody else there. All right, maybe one more question. All right. Well, that's, that's you know, two big aspects of my life. And it's a, a book of 37 years right now but there's a lot more that's happened in there. And love to talk to you sometime else about that. And if you have any other questions or whatever, you can you know where to reach me. But you, you have my address. So I'll leave you with this. Smile, <laughs> even if you don't want to. <laughs> um. You know, when somebody receives not just <clears throat> knowledge, but a revelation that's transformational, that person carries something then that can be shared. And spiritually, it can be shared with us through prayer or the laying on of hands or mentoring or things like that. I would appreciate if you would share with us through a prayer this morning this revelation of love and living without judgment that God has given you. So could we stand, congregation? And I'm just going to ask if Chad would pray for us to have a like open heart to the, to the person of the Holy Spirit in what he's wanting to do with each of us individually in this area. All right. God, we love you, and we thank you for your love for us. 
We thank you that you sent Jesus down, not not to just save us from our sins and and uh, you know give us a hope for a future in heaven, but you sent Jesus down here to reconnect us with you, where we can have this close relationship and walk side by side and feel the warmth of your embrace, Lord. So yeah, our sins are taken care of, our healing is taken care of, um, but ultimately the connection with you is is restored. God, I thank you for your your unsurpassable worth that you have ascribed to me, to everybody here in this room, to everybody out there on the internet who may be listening, or everyone, God. I thank you for that. And I just pray that our hearts would be open to the fact that you have done that, and not only open to that, Lord, but they would embrace it, that we would be able to go out and show this unsurpassable worth to the world around us and just to impact the individuals to know that they're loved, that there's a church that loves them, that there's a God who loves them. So I pray, Lord, that it wouldn't be head knowledge, but it would be that heart knowledge and that it would just flow out of us freely. And we would ascribe it as freely and openly as you have to us. In your name, amen.